1: All right, our next guest comes from the land of next-gen stats, cleaning the glass, PFF, the metric man, Brian Barrett, off-the-pipe podcast with The Ringer, multi-time guest coming in to hang out uh, midday Tuesday. Still no real updates as far as Space Patriots coordinator search goes. Marcus Covington's probably going to get hired. They haven't announced it yet. There's there's some reason to wait for that. I'm not really sure. I talked a lot about the coordinator search, and we're going to do a lot of that here today, as well as a wish list. This is kind of the most fun type of episode, I think. We get lists, we trade them, everything's on the table. Were you excited when I gave you these topics here today, Brian?
0: I was indeed, Callahan. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this, and I'm kind of sad mm-hmm. in some sense. Not with the list. The list is going to be fun, but the fact that like the NFL season is over. We don't have yeah. two games in the same day anymore. And it was just And I had so much fun. I don't know about you during the playoffs. I know there were some bad games, but I thought there were some classics. Green Bay, Detroit was awesome. Excuse me, Detroit versus... LA was awesome. Detroit last week, that conference championship game was awesome. I thought that the Green Bay game against San Francisco was awesome. I thought we got a ton of entertaining playoff games. And now it's just back to reality that, hey, the NFL season is over. And it felt like after the Patriots season wrapped up, like, oh, this is going to be a ton of fun. We get to watch playoff football. And now it's, it's over, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, uh try telling that to members of my family who do not believe there's an off season. Uh, part of the fix of this <laughs> podcast. Uh travel to the combine and then owners' meetings and lots more going on. But look, I would rather be busy. We're always talking football in some capacity, but I'm with you in that it always comes to Super Bowl and you're excited, like, oh, the Super Bowl's here. And that also means, oh, that's the last that's the last game for, for seven, eight months. Oh. Okay, well that that kind of stinks. But uh long way to go. We'll talk a little bit of Super Bowl next week. None of that today. As I mentioned, the Patriots have Unofficially promoted to Marcus Covington, according to reports expected to be their next defensive coordinator. If you've been listening here, uh, that is no surprise to you. Sure. Patriots offensive coordinator search is up to eleven candidates. Clint Kubiak is the uh, pass game offensive pass game specialist. A, a role. Did you know that was a, a title anywhere in the league?
0: No, I didn't. But if he's somehow related to the Shanahan tree, and of course <laughs> we know that he's related to Gary Kubiak, who's his father, correct? So, yeah. when, you look, when you look at it from that angle, that, that feels okay for me that they're interviewing a guy that's connected to Shanahan because everybody that works for Shanahan McVay, they're good at their job. So, I'm okay with it. But what was Mike McDaniel? Wasn't he run game coordinator or something?
1: Well, those have become more popular. And I think a way that allows coaches to you know, give unofficial promotions. Like, you're not just the running backs coach, you're coordinating the run game, which is still revolving around. The running backs but it just when I read that title offensive pass game specialist it struck me as something Stephen A. Smith would say reaching for words when he doesn't know the coach's exact title and so he just makes one up uh it just screams the source the other guy who they interviewed or plan to interview Raiders pass game coordinator Scott Turner used to be the OC in Washington before that interim OC in Carolina and quarterbacks coach in Carolina another Nepo baby uh, son of North Turvert, long-time offensive coordinator in the NFL. That's where that stands. Nick Haley came in for a second interview Sunday into Monday, um, and we'll see what goes next. What do you like so far about this search, though? Just Just zooming out. 11 candidates. We mentioned a couple of them. Other guys have taken other jobs. What do you like about this?
0: Well, the one thing I really like is the fact that if you compare the two different searches, it's Mayo acknowledging, I know what I don't know, right? In the perspective of, or from the perspective, I should say that, oh, defensively, I know what I want to do. DeMarcus Covington has been on my staff and he's I get it he's only 34 years old but we feel pretty confident in him and he could get another job elsewhere if we don't decide to keep him on our staff eventually so we might as well promote him I juxtaposed that to what happened a couple of years ago where ironically Nick Cayley could have been the offensive coordinator a guy that had been with the organization and the Patriots said you know what Let's have Matt Patricia do it. And it's like, then he's going to go elsewhere. And that's unfortunately what happens to the Patriots. And it looks like, hey, maybe it all works out in the end because Kaylee, it appears he's the favorite to land the job. But I do like the fact that defensively, they knew who they wanted to go after. They promoted. Now, offensively, it's that thing that I was saying about he knows what he doesn't know where it's like, okay, let's have a wider search with this thing, right? Because the offensive coordinator position to me is a lot more important than the defensive coordinator position because Dred Mayos, of course, a defensive coach at least his background is and I also like the fact that they've sort of zoomed in on let's go after McVeigh and Shanahan guys right and I think the thing with McVeigh is if you look at him like we think back to Jared Goff and it was heavy play action and then that wasn't the case with Stafford but they're also really good in terms of designing a running game which is obviously pivotal to whoever the young quarterback is going to be for the Patriots you look at Kyron Williams obviously a great player But he was second in yards before contact this past season behind only Christian McCaffrey among running backs, which means, you know what they're doing? They're scheming it up. So I like the fact that they had a plan where it's, okay, we're going to interview a lot of guys, but we would like them to have, okay, maybe some relationship with the Patriots in the past. To me, that's not as important, but some relationship to the McVay-Shanahan system because clearly what Gerard Mayo is telling us, that's the type of offense he wants to run. So that's what I like the most about it, the fact that they've, Hey, we're going to interview a lot of guys, but we want this type of offense that we're going to run. So even if I don't, I'm not a specialist in this offense. Let me get somebody that is.
1: I like it. Uh, what do I like? I like that it's expansive. As you said, um, there is a focus here, loose focus, I would say, because you know if you're just throwing darts at a list of offensive coordinators in the league, good chance, or let's just say, offensive coaches you land on a McVeigh or Shanahan guy because that's become the more <laughs> popular in vogue system. That's just how football is being played right now in 2023, 2024. I like that there is a focus on past game coordinators, quarterbacks, tight ends, guys who have not obviously been coordinators for the most part, um, but are in a position to make that leap because they see the game from a big picture. They're either teaching it through a quarterback's eyes or their position group with the tight ends like Nick Caley, as everyone has probably told you by now, Involved in pass protection, run blocking, obviously pass routes, um, which all ties together through only two positions quarterback and, and tight end. What do you dislike about this, though?
0: So, the number one thing I dislike about it, and I don't know if this is something that they can control or that something that will happen in the near future. So, even if it isn't not to go off topic a bit related to just the coordinator thing, if you think about it now, so Mayo's going to be a first year head coach at 37. Kaylee's going to be a first-year offensive coordinator. We assume that isn't done yet, but at, what, 41? And Covington is going to be a first-year defensive coordinator at 34. I remember when Sean McVay, going back to McVay, took over in Los Angeles, one of the first things he did is hired Wade Phillips, and he just sort of handed off the defense to Wade Phillips. But it was also the fact that, hey, this is a former head coach, and this is a guy with experience I'm very young getting into this thing so I want an experienced coach on the staff and Great point. You, Great point you think about like Steve Kerr when he took over with the Warriors even though he had been a GM with the Suns. Ron Adams was a longtime assistant in the NBA. I would even go to like Missoula even though the guys he hired haven't been head coaches but Sam Cassell is going to be a head coach Charles Lee even though those, those guys are younger they're established assistants in the league and on so Japan that's the Grundy, one, upstairs yeah, right. Right, true. Van Gundy's in there too as a consultant. So that's the one thing. And you go back to last year, it's just like they had Emes staff and none of those guys were on Joe's staff. Not that this is the same thing, but you get the point. It's just the fact they don't have that like veteran guy. And I wonder if Mayo goes out and seeks that type of person, because I do think the in-game stuff, you don't really know what it is until you get into it, right? Like, and that's why like, I'm interested to see is DeMarcus Covington calling all the defensive plays because I want Mayo to be, Super focused on the in-game stuff. Even Kyle Shanahan, one of the guys that we consider to be one of the great coaches in the NFL, he messes up a lot of in-game stuff. He has a lot of like clock management issues. We saw it as, re- as recently as two playoff games ago where there were a lot of questions with him and he would have been heavily criticized if they lost that game. So I am wondering, and I don't really want it to be Josh McDaniels. I don't really want him to be the guy that's doing that because as a head coach, he wasn't really great at that type of stuff in terms of organizing a team. But that's the one concern. It's like, hey, can you get a veteran coach to help out? Even going back to, like, Scarnecius, like, somebody along those lines that was with Belichick forever. Like, those type of guys are just – I feel like it's important to have those type of guys with some experience.
1: For sure. And I'm glad you brought up McDaniels. I talked about him a week ago with Jeff Howell. Wrote about him as, look, if he's available – and we know he's interested in staying in some capacity. I'm not saying he's committed to the Patriots. He's going to consider all of his options. Like, he he is the rare guy in the Venn diagram of coaches who have experience developing quarterbacks, serving as an offensive coordinator, and want to be here. Like, he's in the middle. That's a sweet spot of what you want. Um, th- there's been nothing on that front. And I said in my last episode, I've gotten pushback. I want to share that again here now, that it was more of a reading the resumes, going, he would make sense more than Nick Caley. He would make more sense than even Zach Robinson, who now lands in Atlanta. The second thing is, you know, I want to couch the dislikes, right? Because the offensive coordinator search has only officially been launched now for a little over a week. And I said last episode that I'm getting a little worried about this because, you know, at some point, like when you get to the 12th or 13th that they continue to expand this search, like – they're not going to be all that different. We have a point of diminishing returns here. Like the, the 13th person that you date, is is, there, is that different from the 1 through 12? Like what are we learning here? What do you want? You <laughs> kind of know at that point what you want. And what I've seen with this group is not only, okay, continues to expand. How much are you really gaining from that? There are not many quarterback developers, which again was the primary reason, in addition to McDaniels probably wanting to stay local. He's been local. He's been in New England. It is a case for him. Okay? We understand the head coaching background. And when I look at this list, you know, Kaylee didn't develop any quarterbacks. Zach Robinson, coached quarterback. He played quarterbacks, not on the table anymore, but never really developed anyone. Shane Waldron was a big name, maybe the top name in this list. And they got an interview with him, but he bolts to Chicago. And so again, it is a little bit early. I'd say in a couple of days, if you want to raise some red flags, sound some alarms, I'm fine here. They're just trending in a direction where I don't see a lot of guys who have a history of developing quarterbacks. The big fish have all swam off to other different areas. And then you're looking for guys in this tree, but you're not settled on any of them yet. Like that's, it's, it's in this weird gray area where I want to make sure that I'm clear about the lack of inactivity. I don't think is a problem as far as signing someone because you'll get panic everywhere. Like listen to talk radio. They're just upset. They don't have anyone concrete to talk about. Why haven't they signed anyone? I'm just saying the people that they have talked to, what, what is it? Gerard Johnson, the Texans quarterbacks coach. I look at him who's developed quarterbacks. Can you name any other, like Clint Kubiak even worked with Kirk Cousins uh, when he was the OC in Minnesota. Like, there just aren't many guys that go, you know, Tanner Angstrom, the past game coordinator from Detroit, really developed Jared Goff. How much of that was Ben Johnson? Th- those are my concerns is the best way to put it here
0: early. Do you think part of that is the reason they're bringing in so many guys is they can be like, look, we we're hiring Nick Haley, and he beat out 13 guys. We talked to 13 <laughs> people. And, like, because everybody linked Nick Haley to the job right when, yeah. Gerard Mayo had taken over so do, maybe that's part of it where they're like hey look at all these guys we had and Nick Cayley was the best I do wonder like you bring up McDaniels and I will give him credit on this point is he did really help Mac in his rookie season like Matt yes. Jones was a pretty good quarterback in his rookie year so that there is that connection there and then the other thing I would say though about McDaniels say the hypothetical is that Cayley gets the job would McDaniels want to do something else that is not offensive coordinator and if so would that be all right with Kaylee? Like, would he feel like, oh, I don't have the power with the offense, right? If Josh McDaniels is, say, some sort of advisor to the head coach in Gerard Mayo, would he sort of overrule what Nick Kaylee's doing? So I wonder if that's part of it, too. Can you have McDaniels and a guy that's trying to establish himself as a young coordinator? And then you have Josh McDaniels talking to the quarterback, too. So I want, because Josh McDaniels, like, say what you want as a head coach, which he was horrible, but maybe that would be something where it's like, hey, we're trying to install our system, and Josh wants to install his system, which obviously we know is different than I mean, different than what Shanahan and McVay like to do. And it's really, like in the Brady era, it really morphed into different things from year to year and even from game to game. But I wonder if there's uh, too many chefs in the kitchen if you have both those guys on staff.
1: That, that's where I land. And it's not only just the chefs in the kitchen, but it's a guy who, let's say, was forced into early retirement and had a Michelin star restaurant and then looking over the young chef who's coming up. Like it's the same reason that I don't think keeping Belichick as a head coach while installing a new GM or promoting one from within really would have worked because there's the greatest coach of all time. The guy who ran the show for 24 years. And for most of that had complete control over personnel being like, you sure about that? You you really want to reach for that spice, huh? Oh, that seemed like a little too much salt. Like that's just not going to work. I think as far as the day-to-day dynamics (sighs) in the workplace and that I say from the little that I know about Josh, has got a very commanding personality, runs the room. Again, went head to head with Brady. You know, as you will with people that you work with, coach-player relationships held his own. Wasn't always right, of course, but it takes a certain kind of presence to do that. And for a guy in Kaylee who you mentioned, unofficially passed over in 2022, officially passed over in 2023, didn't get OC jobs with the Jets and with the Texans, um, and then goes to take a lateral move to Los Angeles after his contract expired. I'm not saying any one of those is you know, inexplicable. And altogether, that'll probably happen to most coaches. But you wonder if he's got the same profile. Of someone who comes in is going to be a coordinator and hit the ground running right away and have the gusto, the presence to say, this is what we're going to do. I don't care what anybody else says unless you're someone who works directly under me. In that case, I don't know if Josh uh, or Nick would be comfortable with that. But let's get to the wish list. Let's get to some positives here as we wait in the Patriots to hire an offensive coordinator. Um, I told you, Be as broad or specific with this if you want. Understanding that if this three-pronged list, which is going to be very basic and we'll have a lot more talks and conversations and podcasts about the Patriots free agency and draft coming up. But this is the way to dip our toe into the water. If your list goes, I want a new quarterback, I want a new offensive coordinator, and I want a better offensive line, everyone is going to tune out. A happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch or the lazy boy. And grabbing your favorite football snacks and placing some super bets. The Super Bowl 49ers Chiefs. Look, we all saw four years ago. It is very different this time around. I think there is value to be found whether you like prop bets or the money line or the spread. So go to FanDuel where you have so many ways to end the season with a W even if the Patriots didn't or maybe two or three depending on how many bets you want to place. And not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58 but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown how many points will be scored and so much more don't forget the national anthem and new customers if you have not joined FanDuel yet if you join today you will get $200 200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins so join FanDuel and visit FanDuel at FanDuel.com slash Boston to sign up that's FanDuel.com slash Boston make every moment more with FanDuel an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older and present in Massachusetts. Pope is here, first online real money wager only. $10 first deposit is required. Your bonus is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com, helpline ma.org, or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start, gamesensema.com, or call 1-800-GAM-1234. So what did you come up with? Number one... Well,
0: the- like the quarterbacks the obvious one so i won't say that but i want drake may or jaden daniels i'd be fine with either one of those guys i'm going to tell you this callahan the more and more i watch jaden daniels i'm just like man this guy is the speed is ridiculous i i can't wait to see what he runs at the combine and i hope he does run because i know like when lamar was coming out it was like a criticism that he's such a good athlete like oh we should like don't run the 40 because people are going to think you're going out for another position like with Jaden daniels i think this could actually just like help him if he goes out there and he runs like the fastest time ever in the history of the quarterback position but anyway i digress so my number one thing and this is something that i think i said last year and i think i said the year before that (laughs) get a top tier wide receiver so you look at the free agents t higgins is out there michael Pittman. we'll see if he goes back to indy i would expect that but mike evans also calvin ridley would be further down my list Now Evans age-wise isn't the perfect fit. Obviously he's 30 years old and in all likelihood you're going to have a quarterback that's in his early 20s. But 13 touchdowns and he was really really good in that playoff game. And what's unique about Evans is if they don't get something done in Tampa he's not one of these guys that it's like oh maybe he wants to go somewhere and win a ring. He already did. He did that with the Brady guy. He doesn't need one. So if you just give him the most money like they didn't do with DeAndre Hopkins maybe he'll come to the Patriots and then so I think about Higgins to me it feels like he out of this group is the most gettable just because I feel like if you're Indy I don't know how you don't keep Pittman I mean he's one top 6 in receptions top 6 in receptions per game I just think you have to keep him but with Higgins one of the things I look at 14th in yards per reception 15.6 the average depth of target was also in the top 30 he's 6 foot 4 and he's I know at times he can be a contested catch guy but he he also He's at 5.6 yards after a catch per reception, which was tied for 17th, so he can be a game-breaker as well. And the reason I say he's the most gettable is they've already paid Burrow, and they're going to have to give Jamar Chase a ton of money. I don't think he can pay two top-tier receivers, so I do think that the Patriots are going to have an avenue to get one of these guys. And to me, I would love Higgins, but if they can't get Higgins, I would settle for Evans because he can certainly help a good uh, a young quarterback develop. I mean, having a receiver like that, he catches everything. I know he has some drops, but I mean, you can just throw it up to him throughout the game.
1: Brian, it's very kind of you to settle for Mike Evans, a person yeah. who's had 10 straight 1000 <laughs> seasons.
0: Uh, I love favorite. him, man.
1: Yeah, I-, I think it would be a great fit as, you know, I don't want to say a bad ball catcher, but these bigger receivers have a larger catch radius, typically, and that helps the younger quarterback who's developing in the league, needs to take more 50-50 shots, just to you know, until he progresses to a point where he's throwing pinpoint passes against NFL defenses, I disagree with you though as far as T. Higgins because I think you made the case for why he will be the least gettable, and it was all the stats you rattled off. So I get no. that one team competing with thirty others is right. slightly better odds than one team competing with thirty-one others if Cincinnati doesn't retain him. But I think you will see the Commanders, the Bears, uh, possibly the Giants, all these teams who need receivers and/or have a ton of cap space. Leap the Patriots in a way that, you know, the philosophy is going to change in the front office without Belichick here. I think they will invest more in receivers as opposed to this, you know, B-level, free agents, uh, middle-class approach, spread the wealth, which they've done since Belichick got there in 20, uh, 2000. But that's going to be, I mean, like T Higgins is going to be the richest man. He might he might come in close to the richest receiver contract in NFL history if the cap jumps in the way that we expected to. I'm not saying he will be that, but somewhere in that neighborhood for a young guy who's sitting for agency a year earlier than most of these first round players or first round picks who obviously have the fifth year option built in, like this is going to be uh, T. Higgins sweepstakes. Um, now, do I think the Patriots should bow? No. Relatedly, number one on my list, we're going to, we're going to start in the, the not many fireworks here. Resign Mike Unwenu, please. Like this, it's, it's preposterous to me that according to Jeremy Fowler, the Patriots have already going, oh, no, he's too rich. We're not going to sign him. He's already gone. He's an offensive tackle. And Michael Wenner was said on the record to Sophie Weller-Vade Z Sports, like, I want to stay. I've had conversations with him that have been similar. And some of that is just posturing, right? You don't want to shrink your market by telling other teams you have one fewer you know, suitor to worry about. But if you're the Patriots, he's homegrown talent. He's been an excellent right tackle and right guard. He pivoted mid-season and finishes one of the best pass-blocking offensive tackles, top 15 by PFF in pass-blocking efficiency. And you would think he would only get better with the more time that he's there. In addition, to can bring this downhill running style, uh, which was the only thing they were really good at running behind him last season. Resign the man. Like this is inexcusable to me that you have the fourth-most cap space and are going. Ah, That's too expensive. We did this the last two off seasons when they failed to draft or sign. A starting caliber tackle, you have one in house, he's not going to be late to meetings or otherwise create trouble in the locker room. It's Michael Wenu, keep him in Foxborough.
0: It almost seems like it's a good idea to keep your good players. Like they had this <laughs> receiver by the name of Jacoby Myers, they let him go elsewhere, he was good with a different team, and the Patriots were sort of missing his production. So, keeping good guys you drafted, I do wonder with On Wenyu. Michigan man, I don't know how much money they have over there with the Chargers. Their salary cap situation is not great. I wonder if Jim Harbaugh, who wants to run the ball like crazy, goes after him. But I'm with you. I mean, that's definitely a guy to keep. And keeping on that in terms of things uh, things m- on my wish list, I have another guy I think they should keep. Kendrick Bourne. So mm-hmm. Bourne is coming off, of course, the injury, although he's posting on social media like crazy. Looks to me like he's ready to go already. But from Kendrick Bourne's angle and all this, I feel like you go back to last season. Still, Yak numbers are good. If you go back to 2021, and the reason I bring up 2021 is you're going to have a young quarterback. Yak perception six among receivers. The rating when targeted was 135.1, which is third. And you're going to have a young quarterback, so he's quarterback friendly, right? And I think about it too. If you can get the guy that I had at the top of my my list, T Higgins, and you bring up a good point, you're going to have to compete with a lot of teams. I just the reason I say that is I think he's the most likely to leave his team like I don't Pittman, okay. I, I can't imagine the Colts not keeping Pittman because they don't have a Jamar Chase there so the, but the other thing about him is if you bring in a number one and then you have Kendrick Bourne and then I really like what we've seen with Demario Douglas I don't want to say you're cooking with gasoline but you're cooking with a professional receiving corps which is something the Patriots haven't had for a couple of years like from my, the other thing I would say about Bourne is I don't know how much he's going to command on the open market. Not to say that he's old, but he'll be what entering his 29 year old season off an injury. You may get like a prove it deal from Kendrick Bourne, and with all the controversy and all the issues that this organization has had over the past couple of years, he like enjoys being a patriot, right? <laughs> right? I mean, he, he likes being here. So I think you have a real chance to bring him back, and I just feel like. We've learned our lesson watching this team play and letting good players go. I would keep Bourne. I do think, though, there's a chance that, say, a contender, like a team that's playing in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs, that would be a perfect fit for Bourne, him, or Rice, and the group they have there for him to sort of be a secondary, a third option there. So I do fear that he'll go to a contender. But from the Patriots, I do everything I can to bring him back.
1: It's a great call and a couple nuggets on uh, Kendrick Bourne, who I mentioned a few weeks ago. It had already been approached by the Patriots, about an extension. Nothing's still imminent. Nothing's going to happen. I think they're going to wait on that as they should. And normally I would say, okay, guy who tears his ACL on your watch is a great candidate, as you said, for a prove-it deal. And I think typically that is a rule. What makes me believe Kendrick Bourne might be the exception, though, is one, it was a clean tear. So this recovery is going to be, I not want to say expedited, but a little bit quicker, as I understand it, than most ACL injuries. There's a very good chance he could be ready at the start of training camp. Is he a full participant? Who knows? But this is a best case scenario when it comes to tearing your ACL. The second thing is, I don't know if he would be willing to settle for less than what Juju Smith-Schuster got last year because you just look <laughs> and go, like go, uh, I stopped playing halfway through the season and my numbers were all better than his and he only got hurt and was broken out for the last few games. So what does that say to you? How do you value me if somebody can play inside and out And it's a similar player from a yak standpoint. The last point is, I think there are a lot of offenses given his experience in San Francisco. uh, And I know you know, the Packers and LaFleur um, watched him perform well in those joint practices with Green Bay in August and took note that there would probably be a lot of suitors is my guess, guess underscore guess about Kendrick Bourne. If he were to hit the market now, are they approaching him saying, yeah, here's $15 million? No, of course not. But, I think the Patriots competition could be more than expected for a guy like that. Uh, And let's stick with the receivers. Let's set off some fireworks here. One, two, three. I want a day one or day two receiver for the Patriots. So top three rounds. And I understand the big name is Marvin Harrison jr. We'll talk a lot about the number three pick and what they should do and what they shouldn't. Obviously Marvin Harrison jr. Is someone who should just be in the hall of fame already. He doesn't need to play a snap. We talked about this enough. He's the greatest receiver to ever play. I know that was his dad. Almost. Here's the thing though. He is one of several receivers at this top of the draft that is worthy of your attention. Roma Dunze from Washington is going to go in the top 10. You stay in the first round. Um, Malik Nabors, LSU, is another top 10 pick. Let's go outside. I think they should trade up into the teens or early 20s. As it stands now, there's a lot to learn where you could find Brian Thomas Jr. at LSU, Keon Coleman from Florida State, Don Mitchell from Texas. Like, there are 11 receivers right now. When you go to ESPN's top 50 prospects, and this will change and we'll learn more, that are receivers. Again, 11 out of 50. That's over 20% of the best prospects, as we understand it right now in this draft, are receivers. Go get one. Make it happen. That's number two on my list.
0: That's interesting to me. So, by the way, another point that I want to make briefly on Kendrick Bourne. He's like one of my favorite guys. Him and Derek White. Like, I'm the president of both their fan (laughs) clubs. So, it would just hurt me to see... Kendrick Bourne Leaf. but are you point, collecting
1: dues in the Derek White fan club? Because I feel like that has hit its power. I hope you're making a lot of money running what is just an ever expanding club. Be like you should, you should be getting yeah. membership fees.
0: We meet every Tuesday. My my brother and his girlfriend actually got me a Derek White jersey for Christmas, so I oh, haven't nice. been able to wear it yet because it hasn't been you know warm enough. But in the summer, summer I'll bump that out. Let me ask you this though on that receiver point. Mm-hmm. So you're saying use future draft capital or pick uh, pick this year and a pick of the future, still stay at three, trade up. What about if Brock Bowers fell out of the top 10? Would you go after a tight end or you strictly receiver? Because I feel like now like all these teams that have elite tight ends, like what Laporta does for that offense in Detroit. Obviously, we know about Kittle, historically what Kelsey's been able to do like these re- these tight ends across the league have been there's only a few of them. But if you have one of them, it feels like it sort of elevates your offense to a totally different level. Would you be willing to trade up for Bowers or strictly receiver? Sure.
1: I I don't think based on the very little I've read uh, about Brock Bowers, and I understand I've watched him all three years. He was at Georgia and understand his capability once, you know, the the scouts are saying, um, I don't think there's a good chance he falls outside the top 10. But you make a great point. Like when you include Mark Andrews, who I know was injured for much of the season in Baltimore, all four of the last team standings had impact tight ends. And it's obviously, for the most part, it's run blockers as well as receivers and the kind of gravity they have over the middle of the field where you need to win in the modern NFL. So, yeah, of course, I'd be up there. I think he's more of a receiving tight end. He's not really known as, you know, this six offensive lineman. That's not the position as much. Hasn't been for 10 years in the league. But, yeah, I definitely definitely consider Brock Bowers.
0: Yeah, and I, you're probably right. He doesn't get outside the top 10. But even like what Njoku, when he started to play well, when Flacco was there, what he meant to that offense. All right, so I'll get to my last one in terms of my wish list here. I do want a uniform change, okay? <laughs> yes. I, yeah. Ideally, I'd like to go back to the path of Patriot. Second on my list would be the Bloodsoe 90s. Third on my list would be the Brady-era ones are just clean. They're They're mm-hmm. not my favorite uniforms, but... I'm just at the point now, or if you want to switch something else, but I'm at the point now where you look at these uniforms and they're just wearing the color rush uniform from a couple of years ago as their primary home uniforms. I think they're atrocious. And especially when it's like the all Navy, I talked to James White about this on my pod. He's like, yeah, we thought they were cool for the color rush, but not wearing them every game, like every once in a while. Okay. But I hate their uniforms. I think they're in the bottom five of the NFL. Okay. Dress like you want to win. Look at look at the Niners, some of the best uniforms in the NFL. Heck, I like the Chiefs uniforms. I wouldn't put them in the top 5, but I don't know, I can't watch these uniforms anymore, Callahan. I just think they're horrible. Now the white ones aren't as bad, but I don't know, they look like they're like youth football uniforms or something along those lines. I I want to know like the origin of who decided to switch to these. Like who who thought these were better uniforms than the Brady era Patriots one and like I said, I don't love the Brady era ones, but they're at least I, lo- I did really like the white away uniforms during the Brady era. I didn't love the home ones, but who thought like these uniforms look good. I can't imagine who thought this is a good idea.
1: Really quickly. Cause I've, I found I'm in a shrinking minority with this. What did you think of the silver tops in the early Brady era that they wore Sunday night against the Cowboys in 03? I think they played the Bengals with them on, maybe in 4 Like, it was an alternate shimmering silver jersey. You remember those?
0: Yeah, you'd want that as a primary, though?
1: I'm, no, I'm just asking what you think of them.
0: Oh, they're all right. I mean, I didn't hate them. I didn't mean, love, them, love them, them, though. I right love guy. them so much. <laughs> like really?
1: That, that is a prime example of an alternate, and I think this goes for most alternates, where you're right. You like it because it's a change-up. You know, the friend who you know you're going to go out, you know, until 2 or 3 in the morning— it's going to be a guaranteed great time. But if you went out with this person every single night, you would be broke and sitting for certain meetings, introducing yourself every time you stood up and, and, and you know had something to say. Um, so I, I, I don't say that to bring the silver ones back. I say it because I agree with you. The reason that they changed to these uniforms in part was to separate the Brady era from what was coming up and move on. And I think it was easiest just to take what they had been doing as an alternate and move forward. But the Belichick era just ended. You're absolutely well, right. It is time for a new uniform. I would say this, though, speaking of silver, not up top but down below, would you settle for just the silver pants as a change-up but keep the tops as is?
0: It's better than what they have, but I wouldn't settle for that. I want more. Okay. I, I, I want them to really work on this. And, by the way, they really did separate themselves from the Brady era, which <laughs> not just the uniform. <laughs> they certainly found a way to do that. But if, if you're telling me, like, that's the only choice – hey go to silver or stick with the all blue then yeah I, I would take that over what they have right now those are better looking than the all blues the all blues are just they're hideous they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're an eyesore okay
1: yeah not good all right uh my last point and I've, I've run out of fireworks because we're going from young 20 greatest athletes in the world playing professional sports to old men who sit in offices i want console years, brian for the coaching staff for the front office I want guys who have been in those roles before and spoke exactly what you were talking about. I think loosely when it came to Josh McDaniels, as just kind of a consultant, a sounding board. I know what this is supposed to look like, but I come from a different background. So the coaching staff, a couple easy names off the top of my head. David Shaw, former Stanford coach, took a couple of interviews for head coaching jobs, a lot of history developing quarterbacks, obviously mostly been in college, but that's a guy I would keep on retainer. Say, hey, come out for training camp, come out for the preseason Maybe fly once out or twice. We can also Zoom, which these guys in front offices now, XGMs do a lot of this work from home, where they join in at certain scouting meetings. Be a consultant. Jim Caldwell. Hey, if you want to move to Foxborough, Boston, we'll have you. He's done this before. Yeah. Lubby Smith is another name, more of a defensive guy, but understands the dynamics of a whole staffing and can be there for Gerard Mayo in the front office. The names are fewer, but I think someone like John Robinson, former Titans GM, obviously former Patriots executive, could come in, do the same thing. Scott Fitterer in Carolina, he came up in Seattle scouting system, and I understand the Panthers were a disaster and all that. You also don't know how much roster control Scott had necessarily in Carolina with David Tepper interfering. And so whether it's them or Rick Spielman, who got let go by the Vikings a couple of years ago and has done some media, or Dave Siegler, uh, who I don't think has a job yet, those are kind of roles and people who could bring different perspective, some more experience, and then I think should be leaned on as the Patriots move forward with inexperienced leader with their coaching staff and what we expect to be the front office.
0: Yeah, when you mention the front office thing, do you think Pioli's off the table because of the relationship with Belichick?
1: No, I don't, because he has a very good relationship with the Crafts and has been involved with their search process. So I think he's there. I just think uh, Thomas Dimitrov is another name who might fit in well. I think Pioli's just a little too far removed uh for, yeah. me, for my liking I understand he worked with Dimitrov in Atlanta so I guess their their timelines are similar in that but Dimitrov at least was in was GM for much longer had more power and sway there than PLA did who's since been doing media uh and Dimitrov has a little bit more you know I, I guess I can't say this for Scott definitively but the Falcons were very invested in you know some uh data-driven decision making and you know analytics so I think to, to, but me saying that makes Thomas Dimitrov shoot to the top of your board, yes?
0: Yeah, I like him now. <laughs> I mean, can they hire him tomorrow? Or what's the deal here? What's the holdup? How, yeah, how what hired do you it? think
1: about that generally? Like, aside from Scott no, Pell, a consul year, a consultant.
0: I like the idea because I think they need, need more people on the staff and in the front office with experience, and I would like to bring somebody, speaking of the front office thing, from the outside in. I know Elliot Wolf has the background, of course, of he was, he just came to the Patriots a couple of years ago, but a lot of these guys like Matt Groh has been here forever so I do like the idea of bringing in a voice from the outside the other thing I'd say with that too is just I think you can say that with like the quarterback too I know all these guys have like their quarterbacks coaches but can you have like maybe hey, Kurt Warner is like looking at somebody's film or somebody that's involved as an analyst can they also just help out some of these young I know a lot of them already do and A lot of these guys have – who's the big one? Palmer's brother. Uh, I forget his first name, but – Oh, yes. um, Carson Palmer's brother. I forget his first name off the top of my head. But Jordan Palmer. I know he coaches like a bunch of these guys when they're coming out of the draft. I believe he's Josh Allen's quarterback's coach still, if I'm correct on that. But my point being is like if the Patriots staff looks the way it's going to look like, there's probably not going to be like an ex-quarterback on the staff that can – help him out and if you don't have Josh McDaniels with all that experience it would be nice to get like somebody that actually played the position to look at it heck maybe they can get the Brady guy to look at it once in a while
1: <laughs> the Brady guy um George Whitfield is another name I mean that goes back years and I only say because he was close with Cam Newton when Cam was here and I had heard just strictly rumors nothing you know solid or certainly not to be aggregated that George was angling for a job on the staff back then uh did not happen of course but you know It's only so often you get to discuss these private quarterbacks coaches uh, so often on the podcast, and so ends the George Whitfield segment. All right, you only have a couple more minutes. Let's end on something fun. Bill Belichick has just called you, Brian. He says, you work for Bill Simmons. You work for The Ringer. You're a media expert. You've been on the radio side. You've done the podcast side. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do do next, and it doesn't look like I'm going to be a head coach in 2024, but I'm going to buy my time. I'm going to do some media. Mock up the best job for me. Bill Belichick to accept or push for in 2024 before I re-enter the coaching carousel uh, about 11, 11 and a half months from now?
0: Okay, so a lot of us in the media do different things, right? Do some TV, mm-hmm. do some podcasts, do some radio. So I have three jobs for Bill because he's a busy guy, right? So after he spends the summer with Nike, is at Martha's Vineyard, he wants to get back into it. So the first one is he, he can join the boss, Bill Simmons' podcast, The Ringer. You know, they just lost Doc Rivers. Bring in Bill for football season, so you have that. Longer form, where he can explain more things. And I'm sure he'd be great as a storyteller. Number two is join one of the pregame shows. Now, I would not put him with Gronk. I love Gronk. I don't think that Gronk is very good on TV. Sounds like a <laughs> robot out there. But CBS, I feel like you could... It feels like there's momentum, but there's going to be changes there. I would like him to be on a pregame show with a former player during the Brady-Belichick era. So Peyton Manning, I know he does his own thing, but that would be cool to hear them talk about plays. Same thing, like, he loves Ed Reed. Ed Reed's, like, his favorite player ever, because I don't think he'd be an in-game analyst just because he doesn't have the necessary energy to be able to do that. Like, I can't see Bill getting excited like Greg Olson, who I think right now is the best NFL analyst. Like, I can't see him getting excited like Greg Olson. Now, Romo's completely over the top at this point in time, but I just can't see that. And the last one is this, and this is maybe the most juicy, is you're doing these two things, but you're a consultant with the Eagles, the Cowboys, or the Bills. Because then, at least from a storyline perspective, from a narrative perspective, we're like, oh, hey, Sirianni was kind of on the hot seat. McCarthy was kind of on the hot seat. Sean McDermott, that guy's got a lot of issues over the past couple of years with his team, including some of the speeches he gives to his team at training camp. Could Bill take over one of these jobs?
1: It's a great call. And that is why I have cleared Bill's calendar as his consultant, media consultant Monday through Friday. So he can angle with the owners. He can go to visit practice. He can take phone calls, fly in his private jet, leave Nantucket and do whatever he wants. I say, you friend just have to work Saturday and Sunday and then do your film study for these appearances because you'll have two jobs under the Andrew Callahan plan for Bill Belichick. I'm, I'm just – I'm staring at my phone, Brian. I think this is going to come. I think it's going to happen anytime. I just want to be prepared for Bill when he calls and asks me this. And so the first one is you are going to join Sunday NFL Countdown. The ESPN friend of his, Adam Schefter, Teddy Bruschi, is on that set. And as I said, it's a little too crowded. Bill makes a simple demand. He says, get Rex Ryan the hell out of here. I'm taking your seat. I'm sitting right then. Oh, and this is a three hour show. No, I'm working one hour and 15 minutes of this hour. We are bringing in the Bellustrator. So it's something he knows. It's something he's familiar with. He could even have Scott Zolak as part of this pitch because he and Zoe are close. And I'm going to rule this segment. And I'm going to pick the defenses and the offenses and the players that I want to break down. We're all going to sit and watch. And it's going to be phenomenal because Bill, wherever he lands, is going to be excellent in media. So he does an hour of countdown, and that's it. And he can fly from Nantucket, and he's already there. All things work out there. On Sunday nights, Peacock pitches in and says, Hey, we know what they're doing over there at ESPN, but they already got a guy. It's Peyton Manning Eli Manning for the Manning cast. We want the Belichick cast, okay? And it's going to be you, mm. and it could be Zoe, or we'll pick somebody else, and we'll have this alternate stream from all these people who signed up for that Dolphins-Chiefs game and still forgot to unsubscribe – They'll just keep it now because you are going to be doing what they do on the Manning cast, but better. Okay. And you will have complete control over the rewinds, the plays, anything you want to highlight, like, and he will dominate that space where it's minimal travel. He can do this from his home in Nantucket, or he can stay uh, at ESPN says, look, you just have to rent out the studio. I'm sorry. That's the deal on Bill Belichick. And they do this on Peacock on Sunday nights. And then he goes back Monday through Friday, calling up Jerry, Speaking with the guys of the Eagles. Oh, Terry Pagula, yeah, Sean McDermott, two and four. Hmm? Yeah, well, just you know where I'm at, and he gets to do <laughs> whatever he wants during the week. But Saturday and Sunday are taken up by ESPN and Peacock in a separate stream, which is not a unique idea, but I think that's that's a sweet spot for him what he wants to do. What do you think?
0: I absolutely love the Peacock idea, and I I will admit that I use somebody else's password for the Peacock playoff games. It's like <laughs> it's like one of the only streaming. Yeah it's, it the it only, yeah, it's one of the only streaming ones I don't have, but. You know who else they could break? Like, he could have, like, revolving guests, but what if it was Sabin? What if him and Saban watch a game on Sunday night and they break down? Now, it would be, right. the tone of it would probably be pretty monotone, but can you imagine those guys, like, just being like, I have no idea why they just ran this. This makes no sense whatsoever at this point of the game or something along those lines. I think that would be awesome. Bill, like, in that setting, that's what he needs to do much more than the actual game because he doesn't have to have the necessary energy, but that would be for the viewer, like seeing what bill is actually seeing. And you're like, Whoa, like this, this, how does he, how does he know this is going to happen? Or how did he know that it would work out that way? I think, the, and yeah. you know what? I think that would help him get a job.
1: Like we all thought, yes. And that's the other part of this is rehabbing the public image, you know, bringing in ownership. Like he only got one interview. That's what it was. It was Atlanta and they passed on him. So there, there, there is a purpose to this aside from collecting a paycheck and staying in the game to rehab your image. Cause owners are nothing but fans with controlling interests. Um, and it's a great point. He'll need a play-by-play guy, someone to carry that Bella. There, there's a way to do this, right? It's a Bella cast. There it is. That that was staring me yeah. in the face, and I skipped over it to just spit out Bella Chick cast. The Bella do it. With him. He'll need a play-by-play guy, someone to bring that juice. Now, this guy is busy in the studio, does a great job, but he's uh, familiar with Bill. And he has a twin, also in media. Devin and Jason McCordy on the Bella cast. Who do you think of that?
0: I like it. I think that Jason McCourty was like the breakout NFL analyst this season. I know he's been doing Good Morning Football for a couple of years, and I know Devin McCourty. Obviously, that'd be easy because he's already under the NBC umbrella. But I thought Jason McCourty—the first game I heard him call was the Dolphins Chiefs game. I can't remember. Was that Germany, wherever it was? Remember, it was like the yeah. early game, Excellent. and I didn't know. I didn't know he was calling him. I'm like, man, he is awesome. That would be that would be awesome. Those two guys, and even if it was just one of them, I know obviously. He, like him and Devin have worked together a lot longer than him and Jason McCourty but either one like both would be awesome I, I think they're they're both really good and the one thing I'll say about the NBC pregame show there's too many guys like I want to yeah. hear more Devin McCourty I, I've had enough of Jason Garrett like I, I really don't need him he says the most obvious things it's like shocking he wasn't a great coach
1: yeah uh shocking though that he and Bill are close uh they have spent some time mm. in the and elsewhere and Uh, I'll leave it at that. But hey, maybe I'll reach out to Devin and see if we can pitch this idea to him. I don't know how much he would love doing that. Though, Bill, I have to stress this. If he wants to turn it on, he wants to do a good job. He will blow everyone away. Like we all thought Romo in 2017 was shocking calling out plays. Bill on the Bellacast or Bill doing whatever the hell he wants is going to be immediately among the best in that role Uh, speaking of among the best Brian Barrett off the Pike Podcast you can listen to him on the Sox the Celtics the Bruins and of course the Patriots over at the Ringer doing excellent work thank you sir for always making the time
0: Calan thanks for having me man enjoyed it